Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thirst for Knowledge Podcast, episode 43. I'm James Evers. I'm Justin. And I'm Seth Tardiff. And today on the episode, we're welcoming in the studio, Sean Lynn. Yeah, on today's episode, we had Sean and we talked a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. It was rad. Nerded out, boys. Yeah, it was, it was so awesome. nerd alert for anybody out there that wants to shy away. But it's a great episode nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And you'll get more of an insight into the world of Dungeons and Dragons, how it all works, the origins of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we talk a lot about the evolution of D&D throughout the year and how it changed over different additions. We talk about different approaches to playing the game. Some people like it as a storytelling tool. Some people like it as a tactical thing. All sorts of stuff about D&D, what it is, what pass-fail mechanics are. We get... We get in a little nitty gritty at times, but for the most part, like this is a very general, you don't need to be in Dungeons and Dragons or like have even played the game to kind of understand what we're talking about. We explain a lot of the things that we're talking about. Um, It's a really fun listen and Sean is very knowledgeable. He's been playing for years and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Like party gifts and, and like <laughs> yeah, we have a full archery um, lane yep. in the garage. Yeah, right. no, spe- no, no special forces security manning the front door. Exactly. I th- <laughs> yeah, one of the things that was important to me when we started this podcast that the audio was going to be good because I've, there's been a bunch of times where I've started like trying to listen to podcasts and the audio is just so trash that regardless of what the <clears throat> topic it like it has to be like a really good topic and you have to be a really good speaker and all that stuff for trash audio for you to want to listen to like trash audio you know right and you're seeing a lot of that now during covid because everybody's doing these remote podcasts and they don't know how to do remote podcasts properly so it's just yeah. you're getting super trash audio oh yeah. for sure yeah. I, I think that's uh an element too to the for the gaming community uh, especially with dungeons and dragons the mm-hmm. the there's been such an explosion in popularity for like D and D oriented podcasts and uh, finding those, finding the ones that are like decent to listen to mm-hmm. is very hit or miss. Cause you'll, you know, people who are, they're very focused on knowing how to run the game or they think they can do it because they've been successful running games and, but they're not, they're not like audio technicians. Yeah. So, right. you know, so like they're, the game they're running, you know, it sounds like it would be great, but you just can't listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like trying to get a good quality, like he was saying, over remote, like over the internet, is real hard if, unless everyone has a quality mic too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm using a headset when we game, yeah. a headset mic. It sounds good when we're talking to each other on the computer, but then when you hear that recorded, it sounds like complete shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's almost like you're in a cave sometimes. Well, just playing the game, the first few months that we started playing our game the mm-hmm. one that i um that you're playing with us in james uh there were a few weeks where you know the first hour of of the gaming session was just wait like somebody was walking through that. someone you know dealing with their audio issues and they're like okay i think we're ready to play i think we're ready to get the session going and right. we play maybe two more hours it'd be someone super short out and then yeah someone kicks out and then we, we wrap and then the next week 
we dive back in and it's same either shit. the same person or a different person with the different audio issues. And, you know, it, it, it felt like we were a f- months into the game before we had all that worked out. Yeah. Really? And then, yeah. We, how long have we been doing our campaign for? I would say like a year, right? We, we started in the last week in November, we were talking to all the players yeah. and getting and getting like loose commitments from everybody and um and then really starting to like hash out some of the details um mid December yeah. is when we had like had our first session and then okay. the holidays hit and we were kind of oh, right, and then we kind right. of paused everybody was like hey we still we do want to do this but we're not going to play through Christmas or anything like that right. and then we picked it back up in January it was like late January too, because there were a few Christmas parties, and you know everyone is still yeah, hashing out some shit. Yeah, D and D always is competing with like what people with other people's life priorities, and then when we finally were rolling, it was like the first week in February, and then it's been every Thursday since February. Yeah. So, and we because we were doing it on the computer, um, we were lucky enough that you know the pandemic stuff didn't really like. <laughs> Yeah. slow it wasn't really a speed bump for us we if anything it was you know everyone was rushing to go in that direction and we just were a few months ahead of everybody yeah so um wow that's crazy how that worked mm-hmm. out yeah <laughs> and, don't and, forget we're in my simulation you guys are fake <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are all imaginary to me yeah and, and, and you know it's it's not like anybody in the game was an oracle or anything or psychic it was just because we mm. wanted it was uh a lot of the people that we wanted to bring together to get involved were out of state. So all the other players, James and I are from Massachusetts, but all the other players are from New Jersey. And there's one guy who's an IT professional out of Connecticut. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Val Raven. Val Raven. Yeah. (laughs) The, uh, the, the trickster cleric. Yeah. So, James, who's our guest today? So, today our guest is Sean D&D Professional. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm excited for this. <clears throat> I don't know if I... I do like d and I love d and But I've only played it once. And me yeah. and Seth, that was our first campaign, like... Oh, I had to have been... Two years ago? Two or three years yeah. ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. We did a short campaign for... Um, <clears throat> It wasn't my brother's birthday, but right, it was his brother's wife's uncle. His <laughs> wife's <laughs> uncle's birthday, I think. Who yeah. does a D and D? Like he does like a one-off campaign like every year for his birthday or something like that. Okay. And Noah just reached out to us and was like, "Hey, you want to be a part of this thing? Like we're doing it at the house or whatever." And we're like, "Yeah, we never played before. Let's let's check it out." And we've always been fans of like, you know, we played Magic the Gathering since we were 10, played a bunch of role play games like Final Fantasy and all that stuff. And then you play D&D for two secs and you're like, oh, that's where all this stuff comes from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sure. A ton of that stuff gets its roots from Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But this yeah. game's been around for like since the 70s, right? That's right. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons really... Uh, it developed through the 70s um right from like the beginning of the 70s uh there was a a real uh a real following of like large-scale tabletop strategy games taking place um in the geneva uh, the geneva area of the country and uh there were there was a community of people up there who were all uh participating in these like large uh 
battle simulations. Uh, hmm. And um, a few of these guys, actually, a, uh, a few of these guys kind of like got there, met each other there, and got started. Um, the uh, the godfather of Dungeons and Dragons, so to speak, is a guy named Gary Gygax. Um, he created Gen Con or Geneva. Um, so, mm-hmm. and he created Gen Con, and through that Gen Con creation, he kind of uh, met two other individuals: this guy Dave Artisan and uh, Jeff Perrin. Um, and those those that trio uh, ended up being the guys who were kind of seen as being the most critical in the um in D D kind of like being created um gary gygax is the one who always gets like the most credit for it he he uh he's probably the one who was able to see all the pieces and put it together uh and he he was the one who kind of created the company that uh made it a product um, at least until he got kicked out of his own company. Uh, but uh, these other two guys, uh, Dave Artinson and Jeff Perrin, um, they don't get talked about as much, but they are really instrumental in making the game what it was. So, And a lot of people don't realize this. These Both those guys were um, both Army veterans. They, uh, they, had, uh, they basically had a lot of influence from the U.S. Army. Um, and uh, that's where... More than likely, I don't know this for sure, but having been in the army myself, more than likely that's where their love of just tabletop battle strategy came from. So sure, right. So for and I, no, I don't know how much um, when you were in the Marine Corps, how much experience you got with like sand tables and simulating when you're doing like when you're doing your planning operations. Yeah, when we do like five paragraph orders, um, that usually like the squad leaders would write up like. <clears throat> there, you know, you'll meet with the commander and like, okay, this is the mission, this is what we need to do. This is the time we need to do it. These are your objectives. And then the squad leaders would eventually, basically, just come up with this five paragraph order, um, and then just sort of relay it out to the squad. And usually, yeah, you would have to build some sort of like, kind of like a gridded like sand area with like all your landmarks, you know, where your objectives are, where your the troops are gonna sort of like, you know, mount and infiltrate from. And yeah, it all kind of, you basically were planning this battle strategy and it's so detailed down to the very point of like, okay, it's going to take place at this time of the night. This is the weather for that day. It's expected <laughs> to have this much um, like lunar uh, light of like 40% Damn, or something like that. Deep. It's so yeah. detailed to the finest thing because you want to plan through everything. Now, obviously, you you know you never want to fall in love with the plan because when shit hits the fan, shit's run, gonna run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my problem is usually falling in love with the sand table itself. So, <laughs> I, I, I actually gravitated towards that a lot when I was in the military, and yeah. uh, so I had had experience with Dungeons and Dragons from high school. Um, and yeah, then so when did at, you, yeah you started in high school? I did. I okay. started. In, I actually started in elementary school when I uh, was in eighth grade. I had moved to a new town. I moved to New Jersey, and uh, I didn't really know anyone. There was a teacher there who was starting sort of like a gaming club, and he kind of identified a few kids who seemed like they were. <laughs> you know going a little extra <laughs> nerds you know and I, I i probably got i probably got snatched up into it mostly because he probably saw i didn't know anybody yeah it was a good opportunity to like meet new kids and sure. kind of uh um, make friends um but then 
after that, there was a little bit of a lull. And um, for sort of like silly reasons, parents, like some uh, some political parent stuff, the parents didn't necessarily, not all the parents were cool with their kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, is... Satan! Yeah, the satanic panic <laughs> kind of stuff. And, um, yep. and then, yeah, through high school, um, I played quite a bit. And actually, my best friend from high school, who ended up being the best man at my wedding, we met because... I said something about Dungeons and Dragons and he's just like on the other side of the hallway like, wait, did somebody just say something about a beholder over there? <laughs> uh, and we started hanging out then. Are you talking about wizards over there? Are you talking yeah. about fucking wizards, bro? <laughs> so, yeah, and uh, what ended up happening too was then when I joined the army, um, you know, I had this experience building these like kind of battle scenarios from high school and I'm in the army and, you know, the commander's like, talking to somebody about like well we got to find out some we need someone to like build this like little like scenario this like scene i was like wait you do this in the army can i like yeah it's like can i do that (laughs) like yeah and then next thing you know i'm like making all these models and stuff for the unit and it was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I, cool. I can't believe I'm doing this in the army right now. <laughs> yeah. So, but, it, it, but it, as it turns it's a out, very real, like important piece to it all. Yeah, and and even too, uh, Dungeons and Dragons in general as a game is uh, has a lot of uh, influence in the military. A lot of people in the military play. I think a lot of most people when they think of like soldiers in the army, they don't think like oh geeks rolling dice and and pretending to be wizards. But in reality, <laughs> it as a game. Uh, sort of like uh, with a, a reputation for being as antiquated as it is, you know, pencil and paper, it fits in perfectly with a community of people who end up, you know, overseas in environments who are just, you know, with low connectivity. And it, some of these guys have, uh, while their their op tempo is very high, the downtime, there's a lot of downtime for them to try to fill up, especially for uh, the people who maybe aren't as involved in the planning part of it. And uh, those guys end up gravitating towards just keeping those guys out of trouble means ensuring they gravitate towards something that is going to be constructive and take up their time. And so a lot of guys end up playing Dungeons and Dragons or they'll end up playing like board games. So on my first deployment, we played a lot of Ticket to Ride. Like <laughs> so, And when I say a lot, I mean a lot of Ticket to Ride. Like unhealthy amounts? I, I probably could play Ticket to Ride in my dreams by myself. Oh, wow. yeah. Our downtime was either... I've uh, never played that shit. It, it is great. It's Yeah, you trains and you build them across the country. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's it. Huh. Our downtime was either uh, gambling, cards, cards and dice, uh, jerking off, or sleeping. Of off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot, all those oh, things. Yeah. A lot of oh, semen, yeah. so <laughs> much and cards. Yeah, even in the middle of the desert, a lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot of navy. Do you guys cards. get a lot of porn out there? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's all just like it's actually, a lot of like home and guarded magazines. Actually, like, <laughs> the fun, funny, funny Spank story bang. on my on my uh, second deployment. Um, I went. I ended up working on an airfield called Bastion. It was run by the British. Yeah. The British don't have those same rules about pornography as the U.S. Army, and so in the in the like the personnel uh, area or like the uh, the personnel terminal mm-hmm. where we used to like stage all these all these people and like build manifests and stuff. You'd walk into the office and right there on the coffee table in the main office would be like stacks of porn. Oh shit! Oh yeah, just all over the place, and they'd be like couches and. You know, British British men, uh, women service members would be like, you know, sometimes they'd be looking at it, sometimes they wouldn't. But for them, it was like, you walk in and you're like, whoa, what's all this porn doing everywhere? And they're like, 
what's the big deal? Like, like nothing, nothing. I'm just <laughs> gonna stick this in my pants yeah. and I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I had uh, some like DVDs and magazines mailed in uh, through the mail to me. Oh, really? Which has been helpful. But I, I learned from my first deployment that when I came before we deployed the second time, I I stocked up and brought them. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Um, I don't want to change gears about porn because porn's. <laughs> but when I first played D and D with you guys, like as you were explaining the adventure and the, so much detail, and then giving us the option, like, all right, what the fuck you guys want to do now? I was just like thinking, I'm like, dude, this is how you fucking brainstorm when you write a movie. Like, this is the perfect realm to be in if you were like an action movie writer or like TV writer or whatever, like like this is just like i can see our adventure as a whole being just a film you know absolutely in a way like lord of the rings not intense like the details like lord of the rings they have their own languages and stuff but like that whole spectrum you know it's like fuck man this is how movie writers write fucking movies they play D. &D. (laughs) that's true the you know i've always found that like when people say, hey, I want to get better at playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, you go online, you look for people who are talking about it or, or gurus that are giving out really like uh, sage wisdom. Um, and I find that like a lot of the guys who really know what they're talking about oftentimes try to steer people towards like improv lessons or improv classes or like learn what it means to be a good improver. Um, and be flexible in yeah. how you build a story at a table, especially with the new edition of Dungeons and Dragons. The fifth, Dungeons and Dragons is a game um, from the '70s has grown and developed, um, and has had several editions. Uh, and we're now sitting in like fifth edition. It came mm-hmm. out in 2014, and uh, this edition, more than all the others, has more. Uh, is more story and character driven um, than it is like previous editions where it's more like tactical uh, moving little pieces on the board and like staying adhering strictly to a like a mechanical rule set which still exists in the game Um, but what's nice now in like the era we're living in in terms of being uh, being gamers is that if you really want a more like role-playing story-driven type of experience fifth edition really is the edition for you and uh, and those people who feel like now nah, that's not for me i want to i still i want to get more tactical like you can always break away and go to uh, pathfinder which is what we were talking about earlier um where the pathfinder version of the game as far as like the high fantasy dungeons and dragons uh kind of game has is split off from a previous edition and uh, and kind of taken a more tactical approach to playing the game. Still a lot of the same concepts, but they're, they're, two, they're like two sides of the same coin, so to speak. And um, a lot of when you go online, you search for people who are playing D&D mm-hmm. um, as like an entertainment source. A lot of the real popular ones, take for example, um, Geek and Sundry's uh, Critical Role show um those all of those players and the and uh the dungeon master matt mercer they're all voice actors they're all people who are i think i saw that guy on on youtube doing like stephen colbert yeah he actually yeah he did Um, matt mercer has become like the patron saint of of dungeon masters in the last few years he's really uh he has been both he's been a blessing for sure um like anything else there's been sort of a 
uh, a little bit of a, a negative effect with uh, with critical role success. Um, but overall, it's been uh, a mid, like a real. He's been a real blessing. He shows a lot of people, you know, what can be. Uh, the downside, though, is is that uh, running such a successful game the way they're running it, there seems to have been like a Matt Mercer effect within the community where mm. a lot of new players who are unfamiliar with what Dungeons and Dragons are or is, um, they log online, they watch a few episodes of Critical Role and they're like, this is great. I want to do that. And then they sit down with their buddy who opens up the Dungeon Master's Guide and he's kind of like getting ready to run his first campaign. And they just open and, up a can of worms. Yeah, and they're like, this is not that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what? And it's, it, as a result, there's been sort of like this Matt Mercer effect. And uh, there's... You're seeing the community kind of responding to that. Um, a lot of people are out there, again, with their sage advice, talking about what it is and how to work against it or how to work to improve that kind of uh, negative, um, that negative uh, effect of uh, expectation mismanagement. Yeah. Um, but I think for the most part, it's been it has been like overwhelmingly actually a really positive addition to the to the hobby. I think it's a lot it's a lot more work. It takes more like backstage work than people think trying to get into it. And Absolutely. Like, that's where we talked about the monetary people can make money being DMs. Yeah. You know? And there's like a whole realm where you can pay someone online. You can basically play what virtually in a way, like what we do online. Yeah. And you can pay them money to be your private dm i've thought about doing that actually. and like yeah. i was like shit like if you really wanted to and you wanted this to be your like a job or a side gig you could just like run campaigns for people and make money right like yeah. on the weekends or something there's quite a, a large community of people who are doing that right now actually it takes a lot of work <laughs> out of what you want to do now you're just a character and you just run this adventure yeah i, I think the key to that is knowing both what it means to run a successful game but also what it means to be technically proficient in sort of the the tools of the day that being understanding like what your computer can do and, and also like uh understanding what it like how to troubleshoot audio issues mm -hmm. on, on the fly uh one of the guys who plays in our game uh val raven yeah. um he's a, he's an it professional that's what he does as, as a job uh, and he sometimes <laughs> will be having trouble and i'll be like hey i'm the dm tonight so i'm just gonna look in this book uh val can you talk can you talk James through his like uh, For sure. his audio <laughs> issue? And then like off in the background, I'm reading up about something I have to do later on in the night. And uh, I can hear in the background them talking, <laughs> talking them like IT tech stuff. So, and, it, and that's a huge help. Yeah, for sure. So I actually, um, I, have a, I have a specific question related to what you mentioned back with like the importance of like taking like improv and using that as sort of like your, uh, a way of adding a certain level to being what it means to be a dungeon master but i think we should take this back to i don't know i mean maybe some of the listeners aren't actually familiar with what dungeons and dragons is so can you just kind of like you know take it from like what what is dungeons and dragons uh as a whole as a as a game okay um yeah so dungeons and dragons is a 
it is an RPG. It's a role-playing game, uh, and it's traditionally a game that's played on a tabletop. Uh, it was always kind of referred to as a pen and paper kind of game, um, and uh, having its roots in that traditional like war game strategies uh, stuff. It was um, the idea was is that you would you were simulating real life with. Um, but dropping that real life experience into a fantasy world, um, the you each player at the table would build a character, and that character would live and grow inside a story that was p- kind of presented by a referee, and that referee would be a dungeon master or a game master. The, the title's kind of growing beyond the dungeon into more of like a uh, something that sounds yeah so- <laughs> something that sounds a little bit more universally normal like game master as opposed to like hey my dungeon master's coming over and it's like oh you, <laughs> you know you got oh, you even think about oh, that you, you're gonna have a good time tonight right it's <laughs> like yeah the dun- finally here yeah. that, that's He's funny still, i've never thought about I've it i've never that thought way, about that way because either. i've always <laughs> known what a dungeon master was even not being somebody that being playing it like i thought oh that's just a, the guy that leads the dungeons and dragons games yeah but from an outside perspective somebody that doesn't know anything yeah. about RPGs like yeah I could see how that comes my off my dungeon a master is coming and I'm going to get fucked yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm out, so out, of, out of contact I'm yeah. sure yeah. that sounds kind of strange especially when you're walking out the door you. on a Friday like he seems like a really good mood I, I think he said his dungeon master's coming he's <laughs> getting fucked tonight but um, yeah and so the, you know these traditionally you know a, a group of friends would sit around a table and uh, and one of them would take on the role as like game master. He's like a narrator of a yeah, story, and, right? And, and definitely like referee is a pretty good um, analogy for the role. And uh, and so he would kind of try to play the neutral arbiter for the game. He you know, he ex- explain the location, describe as much as he as much as what was uh, necessary for the players to understand like where they were and what their environment looked like and help them make decisions. Um, and then the players that kind of like make decisions, they would have their character sheet. And anytime uh, something would happen on the table that uh, a, where a player might want to accomplish something and there was a reasonable question on whether or not uh, someone would be able to accomplish that. Or like anytime it was there was a question of whether or not it would be reasonable, like if that would be successful automatically or not. Um, the game master would call for them to roll a die. Um, and uh, nowadays, uh, the 20-sided die is really the the primary uh, way they do that. You roll a 20-sided die, and depending on the way the die rolled, you, know, you were either successful or not successful. Um, and so then the story would kind of go from there. And those kind of combat encounters and story encounters would kind of drive the story. Uh, and you as a, as a group of friends would kind of do that for anywhere between like three and five hours per session, um, you know, once or once a week or once every other week. And, uh, and for as long as you could possibly maintain it. So, yeah. uh, the, for the players, for the most part, uh, showing up, knowing what's on your character sheet and sort of like remembering what had happened the week before tends to be the, you know, the standard or like where the bar sits. <laughs> um, for the dungeon master, on the other hand, the, the bar set a little bit higher. There's a little bit more preparation that goes into running a successful game uh, any given week. 
Like what? Uh, well, and, and that's a good question. The, the amount of preparation that is required is really depends on your group, depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Okay. Uh, it the depends, situation. It, te- it depends on the situation, your level of experience. And it is it is a heavily debated element to what make, how much a dun- uh, game master needs to prepare. Um, some people feel very strongly that the less you prepare the better off your game is going to be. And some people feel like you need a lot of preparation. So the, so it, it just kind of depends on the person itself. Yeah, too, it, like. sh- it sure does. It depends on, it depends on the person, the group. Um, there's no right answer. Um, but what I found was, is that, um, when you over prepare, you tend to become very, uh, you tend to become like very attached to all that preparation. Like you were saying before, like sometimes it's not good to become overly attached to the plan. Um, and that can often steer a group in the wrong direction. Um, whereas as a game master, understanding as much of what is happening in the game and then leaving some of that preparation aside and allowing your players to drive the story uh, can be a more rewarding experience. They feel like they have a lot more agency in what decisions they're making. And you provide yourself the maximum amount of flexibility to react to what they're providing you, which is where that that improv skill really comes in very handy. And so you can turn, if you... If you really invest as a game master, if you really invest a lot more time in developing your improv skills, that one skill can replace quite a bit of preparation time during the week, and it can make it can make being the the referee of a game week in and week out a lot less taxing for you. And I think it, it can make it feel like the game master or dungeon master can feel more kind of like a part of it like they're playing along too because everything's not so like all right you're going to point a to point b point c but then maybe your players are like "Ah, well we just want to hang around town and fuck some bar maidens and uh, get drunk so (laughs) yeah you know like so it's like it allows a little bit more flexibility there yeah and i've been in that situation too where you know i did quite a bit of preparation sat down at the table (laughs) and then like you know we're in high school and everyone's like hey i want to hang out at the bar i want to hang out at the tavern and uh and see what kind of trouble i can get into and i'm like yeah but i spent like five hours this week building that that cave yeah. and uh, and everything in it. You got to go to the cave, and they're like, "We don't want to go to the cave. I want to roll for dick I'm size." Like, I'm like, "I don't think you guys understand. You have to go to the cave." And they're like, "No, we don't think you understand. We're not going to the cave." And we're all eight, we're all like seventeen, and yeah. you know, and, and drinking beers in our parents' basement. So that usually turned out great. Sure, yeah. right. So roll for dick size <laughs> three, baby. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because it's kind of like coming at it like from a musician's perspective or whatever, and like Im- like improvisational musicianship versus like these really like techie guys. You know, there's all <clears throat> um, you can sit there and you can like practice and prepare a certain piece like forever and ever and ever and play it flawlessly. And people just look at you like, oh, that's just like technical crap. Like that's not like amusing at all. And then you have like on the other side of it, like all these deadheads who just sit and watch like Someone just- these guys just noodle for hours and it's the best <laughs> thing that ever happened. You know, it's so like, m- like marrying kind of both of those worlds of like, like where you, you sat down and you spent all that time like uh, preparing 
uh, that cave, that gave you experience so that like that's helping to build your improv skills because you have this, um, you've practiced it a bunch, right? So like if you do ever get to the cave, now you're ready. You might not have to build that cave completely from scratch again, and it might not take you five hours or if you're in some other weird scenario, you know, and being, being flexible, like to, to move from something that's like super structured to, oh my God, we're not, we don't want to go to the cave. You know, we want to sit here in the bar. And then now having them sit in the bar, you know how to react to that situation. You're like, oh, I've had to do this before. Like, all right, let's see what kind of, let's see how we can make that interesting rather than being like, hey guys, look what I can do. You know? Yeah, that's right. And actually the, uh, the analogy of like the band is actually a pretty good analogy. Um, I was, I w- was listening to your last podcast where you had, uh, your your friend on who has a band mm-hmm. um and he was talking about early in the podcast you guys were kind of like chatting about like you know his work and keeping the band together and it kind of like fell apart and then there were like new people who kind of came on and there was a new band and, mm-hmm. and you know the challenges of like kind of like her, uh kind of um, hurting cats, so to speak. Um, it, it just struck me as like how great of an analogy that is, is like every D&D group is kind of like a band, you know, mm-hmm. and you, there's a lead guy who's kind of, he has a vision mm-hmm. for what the game or for like what the game should be. And while he's trying to like put together all this material and kind of like show it kind of like script this vision and have it come together as being like this thing that everybody can see and enjoy. He also has to balance it out with like the needs and wants and mm-hmm. so and so and some of like the personalities of all the other people at the table. And yeah. there are people who are going to be like some people are going to be super stoked with how things are going, and a few other and maybe another person's just not really feeling it. Right, and then sometimes it only takes one guy to be like, hey, I'm I'm not feeling it the last few weeks. I'm going to bail. And it's an excuse for like two or three other guys to say, you know what, me too. I was I was in it as long as everybody else was in it. I wasn't going to be the one who takes yeah, off. But right. now that, now that, you know, this now that a few, now that this other guy's leaving, I'm going to kind of step away. You know, I think when you run games long enough, you find out that that's not necessarily something that you should be overly that shouldn't be overly disappointing um, because when you put you put anywhere between like four to six guys at a table or gals um, and you have like six people who all have different expectations and they all have different personalities and things that they know make are interesting to them and make it fun. You're not gonna, you're not going to hit six home runs. Right. You know, you, the best you can hope for is that on any given night, five home runs. Yeah, you're not going to hit five. Well, I mean, you you as a dungeon master are trying to make sure that the game you know stays relevant and entertaining for yourself too, because you can burn out really right. quick if you if you find yourself you know doing a few hours of prep each week for a game that doesn't really have anything to doesn't really have any elements that you find like really interesting and exciting. It can start to feel like work. Right. Um, but at best, you're looking for all of your players, everybody who's sitting at the table to log off at the end of the night feeling like they were really happy that they came because there's a lot, there's a really wide spectrum of the kind of games that are getting played out there these days. And, uh, and they range from anywhere from like a beer and pretzels type game where you'll have a guy at your table is as long as he got, as long as he got to drink a few beers and eat some pretzels and talk and be part of it, he's happy. You don't have to, his character doesn't have to do anything great. He, as a matter of fact, he doesn't even have to get a lot of like, uh, like front man time. 
um, it, his character didn't die, um, but he, you know, he he tied a few on and and ate a few pretzels, and he just likes being around you guys, and that's great. Some people are like that, and that's fantastic. Um, there are other players there who are very invested in what their player, what their characters are doing, and how their characters are growing, and those can be those kind of players are also also really fun to have at the table but they take a little bit more nuanced approaches to how you make them feel like it's a rewarding experience yeah could you take us through a just a quick example of a success or a failure situation like say that you're a dm and you have like two or three guys or whatever amount of guys just explain like how um a task would fail or a task would pass on the roll of a die. You know? Okay. Well, I so if you're playing a game, you have uh, your three friends are sitting at the table. You're the game master. Um, as the players, as you're kind of explaining to the players what is happening in their environment, um, there might be something that forces action in that setting, in that scene. Um, and a player will in the moment say, I want to climb up onto this balcony mm-hmm. or I want to leap over this, uh, this creek. I want to, uh, I want to force open this door. Um, there are, whether or not a, you roll the dice to determine whether or not what the player wants to do happens or not is really dependent on like the dungeon master. And for the, I think that like conventional wisdom would say that it's oftentimes better to just let your players succeed unless there's a reasonable, unless it's reasonable to believe that there is, that they could fail, right? If you, if let's say uh, your barbarian wants to kick in the door, if it's a regular door and all in, for all intents and purposes, it, you're your barbarian has is like the strongest guy around. He should be able to kick in the door and right. I think a lot of gurus would suggest that the sage wisdom would be you just let them kick in the door. All right, you kick in the door. Yeah, you ki- you you succeed. You you, you don't even yeah. roll for it. Yeah, you don't it just even need, you don't even yeah. need to roll for it. Yeah. Um, and but let's say you as a game master decides that um, hey, I I my players they love rolling dice. We haven't rolled a die in a long time. I can tell they're getting twitchy at the table. I'm going to just take this opportunity to let them roll. <laughs> that door might be enforced and, by three goblins. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you're trying or, to get in. Yeah, or you or you in your planning uh, and when you're doing your preparation, you have the door barricaded on the other side. Um, or if you let's say you're running a pre-made module and the module says that this door is barricaded and it requires your players to roll a uh, a strength check DC 16. What's that mean? So that would mean that um, the player needs to roll the 20 sided die and that and the outcome of that die roll um, is greater than 16. The difficulty, the DC is greater than 16. So the player rolls a die and let's say that barbarian rolls an 11. And then the bar, and then the player looks on their character sheet and says, "All right, with all of my proficiency bonuses and strength bonuses and every all the other numbers on my character sheet that make me a super badass, um, I, that eleven turns into a seventeen. Well, you've you've met or exceeded your difficulty. You okay, barbarian? Explain to me what happens when the door gets kicked in. I fucking kick that door in, and the barricade explodes." 
that shit splinters, dog. And there's splinters everywhere in that room. And I kick in, I look in that room, and I'm like, ah, motherfuckers. And all the little goblins in there are just like, oh shit, who's this guy? <laughs> you know who it is. It's the barbarian, bitch. <laughs> Get yeah. ready. And that and that's a lot of times how it would go. And, and yeah. if you have a player that kind of reacts that way, that's the best. That's when... <laughs> every, the, every dm you know you're doing it right if at some point you find yourself sitting back and your players have been on autopilot without you for a few minutes you you've done something right in your session for you know for the last few uh, minutes or so yeah that's kind of man that's kind of feel good that's kind of be like like you're you're a band up on stage and you've you you're playing a song and everybody's just fucking the whole audience is singing lyrics and into it and in that mm-hmm. moment one of my one of my favorite parts with Sean as our DM and uh, you whenever you're attacking an enemy or something and you finally do that finishing blow he goes all right how do you do it or is that what you say? Yeah, how do you want to do this? How do you want to do this? And then this that's pretty much like, how'd you kill that guy? And it's like, I fucking grab my axe. I'm staring at the other goblin. I'm not even looking at this goblin. And I fucking slice that dude's head off. And I'm just, I grab his blood and I just put it on my face. And that goblin's like, oh shit. I don't even make contact with the goblin I killed. I'm just looking at that other goblin right there. And I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, J- James is, yeah, James's character Darren is this gi- hulking, gigantic barbarian, and it's it's his classic move is to be staring down other enemies while he's impaling <laughs> one in front of him. Yeah, and it's pretty great. First of all, I'm a barbarian with orange hair, Mandarin colored hair, because I'm a Mandarin farmer, and I'm Darren the Man, Mandarin. Oh you get it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> clever. Yeah, it's uh, great. It's- so you mentioned something in there, uh, <clears throat> module, right? Yeah. So um, like that's uh, pretty much like you could buy a book, right? That's and, right. And you have like a pre-made scenario that the dungeon master would reference. Yeah, that's right. There's two ways to really go about like planning a session. Um, you can either homebrew mm-hmm. all of your game, which um, is something you guys are probably pretty familiar with. And there's yep. there's a, a there's a lot of pros and cons to that. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, purchasing a pre-made adventure, which is commonly referred to modules. Um, and there, there's quite a few of them on the market. You can buy them directly from Wizards of the Coast, mm-hmm. which, is, which is the company that um, produces Dungeons & Dragons right now. They're a subsidiary of Hasbro. Um, and uh, they're pretty good. Some of them are really, really decent things. Um, if you find yourself in a position like I'm in right now, um, where uh, you know I'm, I'm married and uh, with two children, and I, you know, I have a job and I've got chores and responsibilities, sometimes the module is really, really nice because it allows you to customize as much of it as you want. As a matter of fact, it even says in some of these things like, "Hey, we." We fully expect and hope that you will take this and change it in as many ways as you feel is necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so as a result, any given week, you could be playing through a session that is going really, really off the rails in a good way. And you're really incorporating a lot of what you are bringing or what's coming out of your imagination to the game. And then you might find yourself the next week having like, you know, you were just like a lot of things happened in life. And as a game master, you're logging on being like, I had no time to prepare. And this is where we're at in this in this pre-made adventure. We're just going to pick up here and I'm going to see what the book offers. And it kind of goes 
along the script and that and it's it allows for the session to keep the action in the session and it's to keep going without you really feeling like you're dropping the ball as like the leader of the group mm. um and uh as far as homebrewing goes um the pros and cons to sort of producing your own story and your own world is um they're they're pretty straightforward right like everything that happens in that world is a product from your own imagination and that can be a pretty fulfilling thing um especially if your players are really enjoying it and and uh it allows you to make that that world as rich as you and your players want or it it or just as straightforward as it wants. The downside to that is it takes quite a bit more uh, prep and work on your end as a game master to make sure that like all the little pieces are there um, so that your players, when they show up to play, feel like they're playing the game in a living, breathing, real place. Hmm. So, um, so yeah. So when you're homebrewing something, for example, are you basically just pouring through all your reference material like... Um, you have a monster manual on the table here. Like, um, do people get as detailed as making their own monsters with all their own attributes, or is there some rule to D and D, like in the in the fifth version, where you have to only like use the the basis of, um, okay, these are the stats a character has, these this that this type of character has, these are the monsters you can choose from, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I, I would argue that the 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 rules as written in the book and all of the different mechanical things that you find anywhere, whether it's in a book or online or on a YouTube channel or in a podcast are all things that are designed to uh, just help you accomplish what you want to accomplish at the table. And that really should just boil down to ensuring that like every single person who comes to your table to have fun has fun and enjoys the game. Anything that's not directly contributing to that is not necessary at all. Um, and when it comes to whether or not you're like wholly creating something from scratch out of your own mind, or you're doing it 50%, you're using some of what's there and you're adding to it, or you're only taking it word for word out of the book, it's completely up to you. Um, as just as long as it's not detracting from the experience that you or the people at the table are having. So, and that, and that tends to be, um, sort of like, uh, the, the golden rule, so to speak, when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons is, is that everyone shows up to have a good time and you should be promoting that. Mm. Um, and at any point, if you're at a table, not having a good time, then it's sort of, on you to at the end of a session or at some time during between sessions, kind of like, you know, send a message out to your game master and just have a conversation with them about what it is that's sort of like taking away from your positive experience at the table and, uh, and just communicate that kind of like reset expectations for how, uh, for what you're expecting, what you're hoping to get out of the, of being at the table and uh, and then just try to make every session after that a little bit closer to what you're hoping for, um, because again, it's like it's kind of like keeping the band together. Mm. Um, so you're not trying to kill the people the first first adventure, right? Not necessarily. <laughs> and it's, is it now? Is it the characters versus the DM? 
Uh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> sometimes, all som- right. Sometimes it is. I've I've definitely gone into sessions where I've told my players outright, um, "Hey, I'm. This is. I'm. We're going hard in the paint." And uh, I'm going to try to kill you. And so you need to be on your game. It's happening. Um, and I'm fucking and, sweating. But, the, but that is, but those kind of, th- that kind of approach um, needs to exist within a, within a group that has a strong trust and relationship with their game master and understands yeah. that um, there's, a, there are of all the different ways to play the game. Right, you're never trying to just kill. You're never trying to kill your characters for the purpose of winning. There is no. There's always this debate on what is winning at D and D, and I don't think that like one side or the other wins. Um, you win when, as a player, you win when you create a character that has a great story arc, um, and at some point you know, where you leave off that character, whether you stop playing them because they died or you stop playing them because they, they rode off into the sunset. Um, you feel like that character has a great story as a game master. You win when you're all of the players at your table, they log off and, and you know, you ran a great session when after you log off, whether it's that night or the next day, all of a sudden your phone explodes with, text messages and the group the group group, yeah the group (laughs) chat is people are talking about like what they're going to do next if they're going to you just captured the big bad evil guy yeah when you You leave off a cliffhanger like that yeah like the fucking game of thrones like cliffhanger like fuck what's happening next episode (laughs) and that's actually exactly what happened in our game um all of my players i hope believe that i'm trying to deliver to them a really great story and experience for them so my goal, I win when they feel that way. But when we get to a when we get to a situation where they're about to take on the big bad evil guy, we've already rolled initiative, which means we know everybody's turn order, uh, and we know exactly how everything's going to play out, or we know exactly how everybody's turn is going to happen, um, and we're going into this fight. I turn around, I tell them, hey, I'm coming at you hard. You guys have to make strong, smart decisions as a team. Use your abilities wisely. And if and I'm going to try to kill some of you guys because that's the experience you guys are showing up to have. You right. guys want to feel like there's danger. You want to feel like there's risk. And the only way that's going to happen is if you guys really believe that I will kill your characters if the dies roll, if the die rolls the right way, or if you guys do something that was foolish. Like my my boss character is intelligent and competent, and his allies, by the way, are lying in ambush on the ceiling and are about to rappel down on their you know, giant spider webs to, to paralyze you with spider poison. Then you guys, when you guys emerge on the other side of that, mostly intact, you know, victorious, it will feel really good. So, and I think in those situations, it it can be positive thing to let your players know ahead of time, like, Hey, I'm coming at you and been, you, and you need to be prepared. There's been like especially when you're invested in your fucking character and you don't want them to die cuz you're just like that's you, you know? When your character dies in D&D, like say that it it loses its successful saving throws and it dies, yeah. that's it. That motherfucker's dead. Like now that character that you made it's gone, and you start over. You're like, all, all right, the I'm hours gonna make a... you put in, everything. Right. So there's been situations, like, 
there was in the very beginning, probably the first like six months of our campaign, every single time I'm like, we're fucking dead. We're dead. This is bullshit. We're all going to fucking die. <laughs> and there's been situations where like we are in like this bar and I wanted to like get these motherfuckers drunk. I remember this. I think I told you about yeah, this. Yeah. yeah. And he was just like, <laughs> he's like, we're in a situation where we couldn't get out of it. And we're early level and we you know like these guys were probably the highest level guys we fought and he's like all right motherfuckers you know he's like drop your weapons drop all your cash and you can go and it's like we just spent all this time getting our weapons and our cash it's like we're either leaving this bar with nothing and i don't know how we're gonna get new weapons i don't know how we're gonna get any money or we have to fight these motherfuckers to the death and we could totally die and he was not budging. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, can we get out of here? He's like, he's like, yeah, you can get out of here. Give me all your fucking shit, bitch. Give me all your fucking shit. And I was like, fuck. I'm like, what am I going to do? And then we had to fight our way out because that was it. And like, if those, if one of those dudes snuck off, he's telling the entire town's army to come and kill us all. And it's like, yeah. It gets it. You start sweating. You yeah, fucking you, start sweating. <laughs> your whole group walked right into their hide, into the middle of their hideout, and challenged them to a drinking contest. And yeah. they were like, "Hey, by the way, uh, is this all the guys you brought? Because there's a lot more of us than there are of you." Yeah. And you guys are like, he had like this British actually, accent. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> like actually, that's true. And we're starting to rethink our strategy. And, and I'm like, like, wait, did you guys have a strategy when you walked in here? And you're like, no, we didn't. <laughs> And he's like, why don't you yeah. just drop all your shit and get the fuck out of here? And I was like, oh, no, this isn't a fun game. That's the thing. He would report in like yeah. like weekly and just oh, yeah, give yeah. us an update on the D&D mm-hmm. game. And it was like, yeah. it's funny with Ooh. these guys. We talk and they're intense. But I like I'm like kind of like the jester at work. I work for like the fucking DPW. So I got a bunch of like old men who like just see D&D as kind of like a nerd game. And I was yeah. like, dude, you don't realize this shit is fucking more popular than you think. Like there's like normal people that play it's not just like nerds and i i only say it to make everybody laugh but i'm like you guys wouldn't believe the dungeon dragon session i had and i was like nesnar the black spider wizard he came at us hard with four giant black spiders last night and i was rolling for initiative i was like they don't know what any of this means but i only say it to like sound as nerdy as i can right. and they're all just like cracking up i was like i was like I was like, and then Murmur came and he cast a fucking spell and he fucking failed. He got caught up in webs. And I had to go into rage mode. And I went to rage mode. I fucking sliced that spider's arms off. But then Neznar, he tried to get me out of there. He tried to kick me out of the thing by casting a spell of illusion or confusion. But I passed that shit because I had a role of inspiration. And they're like, That's what the right, yeah. And I just, I told them the whole story, but all they hear is fucking nerd talk. Yeah. And they're just cracking up so, like, you're so ridiculous. That is true, actually, in our, the big boss fight that we got. I haven't told them. I don't think yet. Um, the the party almost completely failed. There, were, the the boss was definitely going to win, and at the last second, James came out of nowhere. He actually hold on, yeah, he actually. Oh, um, yeah. So uh, they came down to like one roll, and it was like if you fail this roll, it was very clear. <clears throat> if James failed this roll, the the party wiped. Like it, we. I would have as a game master, my my boss was going to 
basically capture them and sell them into slavery. It was going to be rough. It was going to change slaves. All yeah, sex it slaves. was going to to- it was going to change the entire trajectory of the story. It was going to be completely different if uh, based on this one role. And uh, out of the blue, James is like, "By the way, I've got a point of inspiration," which is a in fifth edition. If you do something, um, there's there's a mechanic that allows dungeon masters to a role to award inspiration to characters that are doing something that might be more in line with their character mm-hmm. um, and like maybe parts of their character's personality or persona that while it's right in line with what they would do, it might be like counterintuitive to the success mechanically of the group, right? So take, for example, if you're in a bar, you're trying to get information and your your character has a drinking problem. And so instead of getting the information they need, which is very doable, instead you get totally drunk and you don't get what you need, <laughs> then would be, that would be something would be like, it wouldn't make it, you're not, it, you wouldn't be accomplishing your goal by doing that, but you're kind of like you're fulfilling an element of the character's personality that kind of adds more to the story aspect than say like the win loss mechanics of the game. So a, a game master would award inspiration for that. And that inspiration sits on your character sheet until you want to use it. Um, and in that moment, having that point of inspiration changed his success failure because I saved that shit for like six months <laughs> waiting <laughs> Which, for a situation. It, it, you like know, there are, there are game masters out there probably would say you should never let your players hold on to a point of inspiration <laughs> for six months. But that, that's sort of like, yeah, that's sort of like one of those moments where, you know, you as a game master just have to kind of make a call for what is working best for your game and decide that like, Hey, I could at that moment said no, and you're not going to use this inspiration for that. You've been just sitting on because I don't like it. And the outcome, if he had failed, would have not been good for the party. And it would have created a situation where all of my players felt like I made a call that was just against them or like antagonist or like kind of like a, um, a me versus them kind of moment. But instead, by saying yes, I, I sort of like immediately set this tone of, hey, I'm in this with you. I'm giving you everything I can for your success. And he's not necessarily and, like give awarding us the pass. He's giving us an extra chance. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing you know is I, I, had al- I had already given it to you. You hadn't had benefit. You hadn't benefited from it at all yet. Right. And at best, um, allowing it just to be another element to your success, which is what I'm really hoping for anyway. Right. So if you do fail, it makes me getting what I want actually easier because i can get what i want which is like not necessarily that i want it but it's that i get to like inflict pain (laughs) and suffering onto your characters (laughs) which i kind of want a little bit but um but you guys don't feel like i'm doing it just to be a jerk right right you guys if it does happen it's it's good for the story it's interesting um, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm kind of like making something interesting for you guys. And I don't do it in a way that is, conf- is combative with my players. They feel like I'm working with them. They feel like they're, we're all in this together. So, it, so if anything, like saying yes to that ended up just be not, there was no downside for me for doing it. It makes the adventure more epic too. Yeah. Like it's like well, Arya yeah. like dropping yeah. that dagger and you're like, no. Yeah. And then she fucking catches the other hand like, 
boom. You're like, whoa. And, you know, you know, and the outcome of that was you did roll one failure. Yeah. I rolled, I failed. Yeah. I was like, point inspiration. Yeah. So that when you, when you roll it, when you say, I want to use my inspiration on this roll, you end up rolling two die instead of just one and getting and shoot and you get to take the higher roll. So when he rolled two die, the die he was rolling all night was a low number and it would have failed. The extra die that he picked up when he rolled it ended up being passing. high, ended up passing just barely too. So it, it, that that one moment is sort of like what we as players are going for all along. Where yeah, everyone erupted into cheers. Never the group as a whole really like understood what was gonna you know what was on the line so right. to speak, and everybody ended up like really walking away like kind of like rubbing the sweat off their foreheads like wow that was that was really close we almost we almost didn't make it so i was like (laughs) yeah flexing in the fucking camera like god get it yeah it's fucking pumped well i mean that's something that is it is a great story right it's like when something something like minuscule happens in like the first act of the movie and then they bring it back right at the end and it's like the thing that saved them all you know it's like you didn't see that like that point of inspiration coming or like you know that lighter that you know an old man handed to this guy and then he pulls it out of his pocket that single match in the fifth element oh yeah exactly (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah, good example that yeah yeah, that actually that's that last match in the fifth element is kind of like that point of inspiration yeah, like, right. like, you know, you're hoping it's gonna it's fucking t- yeah. you're like, oh, yeah. shit. It's fucking fire, baby. Like that stone. Yeah. yeah. But you know, Dungeons and Dragons has never been more popular. So I mean, and if if it's like, you know, if it's cool to be geek now, there's Dungeons and Dragons is like at the geekiest. It's like at that it's at that nexus of like nerd. Where and, do we where do we go? Pack East? Uh, we that went Boston yeah we thing? went to we went to the Penny Arcade Expo East in Boston fucking packed dude absolutely if you totally don't think t- nerds exist go to that place yeah <laughs> it's fucking full yep so many people it was fun too like you know it's not really my realm i don't i play some video games but like mm-hmm. i don't have time really but when i went there i was like oh, there's there's it. two sides to the expo center and one side's all video games and one side's all tabletop games mm. and the first year i went you know, we we spend a lot of time on the, the video game side. Um, I was going with people who are a little bit more into video games, but these days when I when I do go, if we ever go to conventions again, um, we spend almost exclusively the whole time on the tabletop side, yeah. uh, walking around looking at people who are playing playing Dungeons and Dragons, getting into random pickup games, playing board games. Yeah. Yeah. You find new stuff too. Like that that dude, we met a dude that was uh he was the maker of a game called High Heavens, right? Yeah. We played with his wife who, you know, pretty much co made the game with him. Yeah. And then you ended up buying it. It was a great it's a great game. We played it a few times. We in fucking house, played yeah. it. We played it at Pack East. Yeah. And I was like, This game's fucking fun. Like a week or two later, I ended up buying it online. Oh yeah, yeah. And nice. I, I've been meaning to bring it here to play oh, with that's these the guys. Game you keep telling us about. Yeah, the yeah. Greek. What is it? Greeks versus Norse or something they, like that. They, they have. Um, they actually have like multiple pantheons that you can that you can play. But each team is basically like you know the it's uh, a different set of gods. So you got like the Egyptian gods, the Greek nice. gods, the Norse gods. I think there's a few. They the guy developed yeah, a few expansions. expansions for it. So, but I mean, it's a it's a it's super different. fun. Yeah, it's. I mean, like you'll play. There's a lot of eclectic different games you play there. Um, um, and then, of course, there are there are people who are engaged in some of these like like massive simulations 
that are like almost like undescribable how big they are where you have uh there was a game that was taking place there when we were there that was like seven or eight tables of each table had like 13 or more people at it each table was its own game that was all contributing like actions and information to a larger game that was taking place between all seven tables and it was simulating a alien invasion of earth oh my god and like so like one table there was an alien invasion of earth and one table was just people simulating the military aspect of it like all like each person at the table was a different country and they and their they it was their job to like basically role play like what their military was doing contributing all this stuff and then another table was like the united nations and each person was a diplomat from a different country and another country another table was like the aliens another table was just like us like civilian groups it was like all these different elements and they were all contributing information to a like a, a hive mind table that was turning around and giving digesting that information and then feeding it back to the other table so oh like, something you were doing at your table like yeah like if i was the di- if i'm at the diplomat table and i'm the diplomat for like for brazil and i'm not getting along with the you know the diplomat for china and we're like arguing and then there's something comes up where like the Brazilian army and the Chinese army are fighting a pitched battle against the flying saucers over, you know, over the Pacific. And we're, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the war goes badly because the two countries aren't getting along with each other. So <laughs> that it was the aliens invade Brazil and China. Yeah. I, I, I stood there for so like, now the civilians of China and Brazil are fucking yeah. going crazy. Dude, I stood there for like 20 minutes and just tried to like digest all of it. And then I just rubbed my eyes and walked off. I was yeah, like, yeah. this is, I was like, this is too much. I can't, I remember I can't. you explained yeah. me at the pack East the year before there was like a D and D just battle arena. Where yeah. There was this one Epic monster and you could throw in your character. Yeah. And try to fight a little bit of him yep you know and then once you die or once you leave another guy and there would be like what like a hundred people a hundred <laughs> characters versus dude, one monster those guys are there every year they've got a big sign up that has like their schedules and like all every time they're going to be like playing and they would have like all these people bringing their individual characters into this like almost like gladiator style arena but they're all fighting this like massive demon lord from hell. This like giant monster called uh, named Orcus, who's like the who's like the demon lord of like the undead, mm-hmm. and uh, who's got just powers beyond any one character. And the people are like rushing him, and just he's just like splatting people. And he's like yeah, the, Fa- of, the Thanos or whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> and they're, and they're, and every time they would be, every time they would be like onto the, it was. It wasn't like the same simulation repeated throughout the weekend. It was one weekend was just the one simulation. And like, so every time they would come back and run a new part of it, it was based on where they had left off a few hours earlier. And that table's always packed. Like yeah. getting a front row seat to what's going on there is not, uh, you have to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about, um, is there, can you, can characters from other games, outside games transfer in? Like say you were starting up a new, uh, a new dungeon can i bring my character from that i've been working with from like for the last maybe five years that i've been working on like three other games with can i bring that into your dungeon is that up to the master yeah that that would be that just the conversation between the the guy who's running the game and you i mean that's like really one of the beautiful aspects of dungeons and dragons is that there's 
um, there really are no guardrails or hard fast rules that are locking you into your game looking any specific way um and in most cases the more often that you say yes to something as long as you're getting like a buy-in as long as you're not like breaking the social contract that you have between anybody else at the table then it usually is always better to say yes um most of the time when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, you're trying to simulate out this like fantasy story. Most people want it to be something that feels for their character, or their contribution to feel organic to what everyone else is contributing. So it's not very often that you find someone who's like really trying to go completely off the rails. Like we're all in suit. All the players are in suits of armor and horses, like kind of going down the trail. And you're like, I want to fly in with my rocket boots and start blasting people <laughs> with lasers. You're like, well, you know, that certainly isn't unheard of. Um, I think that there's, well, at one point there's a, a campaign setting called Greyhawk where the creators of the of Dungeons and Dragons, Gary Gygax, there's actually um, there's actually part of their game where a spaceship crashes and it's in it's enshrined in canon for the for the campaign setting that um, there's this area where there's this spaceship from space mm -hmm. and they really don't go into a whole lot of details of where it comes from or like or any context for it to be outside of like sort of like a science a sci-fi kind of element to a fantasy game but i think most most game masters are trying to work things in organically and try to um and at the same time too you do get characters that are trying to create some pretty unique characters i think when you're building when you have three to five guys who are all building an individual character that have individual backstories the the rule of thumb so to speak is to make sure that ev that one character isn't so such a loner that it's that he's breaking away from the group and causing the the the, the pace and the flow of the game to really be interrupted in a significant way I and i think if that does take place you know all, all it really takes is for a game master to kind of like pull that player aside and say, hey, listen, you know, I like what you're doing. I like the extra effort you're putting into making sure that you're staying true to this character and his motivations. But, you know, what we're what's really going to make the game flow better, what's really going to help us to, like, push this story forward in a, in a way that makes everybody feel like they're having fun and, and are happy with the experience at the end of the session is for you to kind of like, let's kind of come up with a way that this person might be more invested than normal than they normally would be for sticking with their new companions. And um, if you can do that, then you're going to run a successful game. That now, thing. like, what about, like, items transferring it? Like, is there a... Because you have, like, a monster manual here, you have a yeah. player's handbook. Like, are there items that are... Like, say you have these different modules, and I get... Uh, I, I open up this treasure chest, and I earn the flail of Ares or something like yeah. that. <laughs> and so sounds cool. Can I transfer like say if um I have that as a weapon and my character and I want to transfer yeah. that into a new game. Yeah. Weapons, all that yeah, stuff I mean, like I think that it re yeah, it's all the discretion. Yeah, it's all but the discretion said, of the game master. That being said of you trying to get to another um realm or like another group of people, you got to keep in mind that like if your character is like a level 18 rogue thief or whatever you want to call yourself, right? You have to keep in mind 
if we're not that same level, it's almost like you're overpowered. It wouldn't right. fit into the story. So your levels and your your like items and all your stuff that you have kind of has to coexist coexist with our group as well or the story wouldn't line up well like if you came in with like all these epic weapons and you're like this crazy high level op character with like a bunch of level three or four people with like potions and you're like oh i got this (laughs) magic wand that'll just make you it won't feel like an an exciting that's right you know what i'm saying and in 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 sort of like in a game where the answer is almost always like well yeah if you can convince your dungeon master and all the other players that it's cool then the answer is always yes if you're looking for a little bit more structure to your game um, there is uh, Wizards of the Coast does run a weekly um, campaign uh, structured uh, like campaign um, progression called Adventurers League it's like it's Wizards of the Coast's version of like a like structured play, and if you can find a hobby shop near you, a lot of these hobby shops will um, be getting information directly from Wizards of the Coast. And you, there are some um, there are some mechanics that govern like how you make a character and how you would transfer that character. You get like a number that gets put into a system and that that system is like open source for like hobby shops all over the country that are running adventures league. They can like go into that uh, database and look up your character and see what kind of, uh, you know, what level your like your characters, like power level, what they have some different items. And there are like, there are different systems in there for earning, earning different like renown and progression points that you can use then to buy items and different kinds of things. And you can feel like you're playing a game that has a little bit more of a speed limit on it. Um, if you want to say, be, I want to have a character and I want it to be participate in a larger community of play. But I also want to make sure that there is like someone who's got a little bit more visibility of making sure that like everyone is not just like going overboard. Um, that exists for the community. It's called Adventurers League, um, cool. and uh, you can go to the you can go to the Wizards of the Coast website and look that up uh, and get some more information on um, like what it, like what goes into that kind of play and where you can play, um, and then. Uh, Additionally, too, a really good source it would be the going to D and D Beyond. D and D Beyond is a really good place to go for the actual books. You can buy them digitally, and they do offer a really nice suite of like phone apps where you can like look at your content digitally. But uh, Discord is an app, uh, like a web-based app, we use quite a bit, and we will stream. We run a server, or I run a server there. Um, for our group, um, and um, and on Discord, D and D Beyond has its own server there, and it literally has thousands and thousands of people who are talking about Dungeons and Dragons and looking for groups and looking for DMs, um, and that's a really good resource too. the t- The virtual tabletop that we use is uh, Roll Twenty. Um, there's Right now, there's two. You really have two options. It's Roll Twenty or Fantasy Grounds. Um, our experience is in Roll Twenty, and uh, if you do get, if you do log into Roll Twenty and create a user profile, there are message boards there where you can find yourself like a professional DM who you can find a guy who's willing to run a game for you for free, or if you're willing to pay a few bucks a week to have somebody run a game professionally, um, you can certainly find that there too. 
So you have any uh, goals or aspirations for D&D in the future? Uh, I, I I do. I, I'm always looking to play the you know the best game of D&D I can play. Right, um, I, uh, right now, I've been a game master for a long time. I've been predominantly the game master for my group. Uh, so finding someone who's maybe a game master themselves who's willing to take on a player uh, is definitely something I'm looking for. But I think that's... It's pretty standard these days. You're right. right. There's, it's easy to find players looking for game masters, but um, really just continuing to uh, grow a group of people who are as interested in playing as much as possible as I am is what my goal always is. Yeah. Um, to kind of expand my own personal community on Discord and um, and possibly run maybe an additional game a week. Um, is always something I'm looking to do. Have you ever thought of like making money off of this or like trying to be a professional DM at all? Or Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, while sometimes it can kind of feel like the the community is saturated with people who are putting content out there, um, I don't necessarily think that that's a reason not to try. Right. I think if it's something you're really interested in doing, you 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 package that product the best you can, you polish it and you, and you, it's a hobby, right? So you're already doing it for the love of the game. Um, anything else, anything in addition you're doing to make a product is, is really just, it's extra. It's not going to feel like work and, uh, and you should, and you should do it. I'm, I'm, I would like to at some point try to run a game that it streams regularly on yeah. YouTube or on Twitch. And uh, if, to be perfectly honest, at the end of the day, if no one watches it, I don't necessarily think that's a negative thing at all. Right. You know, I think that it sounds like a ton of fun to do. For sure. I mean, yeah, similarly with this podcast, you know, we're not getting any uh, <laughs> monetary kickbacks uh yet but we we love doing it and we've talked to some really fun people For and sure. we've learned a lot we i feel like i've i've definitely gotten better at conversations and listening mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff and like from what you, the way you're talking about D and like um the the fun and the the escapism and the the creativity that's involved like there's a lot of things that are very positive that you get out of it it's not just like a complete waste of time or this like silly game, you know? Absolutely. I think that like now in our society more than ever, right? It feels like it's people are like looking around for where's the community? Like, mm-hmm. where's the, th- like, where can I get in? Especially if you're start, if you're at home, you're starting to feel really a lot more isolated than normal. Dungeons and dragons can be the type of thing that is that provides community and structure for you um the you know you have you you know you have a an agreed shared set of interests when you join a D group you know you you know ahead of time that the people are interested in the same thing and those types of people they're looking for a place to go week in and week out online to play their game and to and to and to play a character or to share a story and so i think it's what i think that it's going to only increase in popularity as people start to feel more and more like their opportunities for community kind of like shrink a little bit. Um, and I think that the games that are being played online now more than ever are kind of like becoming more mainstream. So, yeah. um, 
I actually wouldn't mind putting out if anybody wanted to contact me to talk about uh, to talk Dungeons and Dragons or was particularly interested in um, my my username online on Roll Twenty is uh, Guinness Green Twenty One. So G U I N N E S S G R E E N Twenty One, and it's the same thing on Discord. Yeah. So I think you need for Discord. I think you need like a. It's like a hashtag and numbers at the end, but be careful. Yeah, well, you're going to get a thousands and thousands of people. <laughs> it's hard enough to go to Dunkin' Donuts nowadays yeah. with a TFK podcast. <laughs> house, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get that information and, and link it in the episode description as well. Sure. So that yeah. yeah, I don't. I actually, forever. interestingly enough, I, I don't do any social media um, in terms of like Facebook yeah. or Twitter. I'm just not on it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. No, <laughs> that's true. Roll 20. I'll give out his uh, personal phone number and his address after the show. And then he has to be good to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this was it. Fun, no, this man. Is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, based on your shirt, keep calm and roll initiative guys. Yeah. God, you guys, that episode was a critical success. Oh my goodness. Did we just roll 20 for that episode? I'm pretty sure we did, James. Wow. That was a good episode. All right, Justin, what are we doing here? Okay. So we I would like to do a QC, James. Yeah. Well, you gotta roll for your QC. DC saving check of a seven. Okay. Roll away if we DC check so, seven. So hold on. Before you roll that die, I just want to let the listeners know that. We're rolling one die. That's it. If we Unless pass, you want to roll advantage. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll do one roll. No, we're going to do one roll. If the roll passes, we will continue on with the QC of this episode. If it fails, we will end the episode. Yeah, thanks for listening. I'll give you an early shout out. Don't forget to check out all our stuff on all our stuff. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> yes. All right. So, so DC saving check of a seven. So if you roll higher than a seven, we're going to go with our... Outro seven if, or higher, right? Yeah, yeah anything yeah. under a seven that's a fail. Okay, yep. and this so, episode's over. We're soprano in this shit, exactly. Rolling the digital 20 sided die. Here we go 15. Oh, all right, success. You all right, passed. success. Okay, there we go. Let's do this. Okay, QC. Um, Ham, why don't you why don't you go with your QC first? So, the only thing I had was when we were when um, Sean was talking on the episode when he was in the army, he was kind of. Uh, constructing these uh, like sand tabletop sort of diagrams to map like certain terrains and stuff like that for missions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when, when I was kind of chiming in with my own two bits on um, kind of the similar idea of what the Marine Corps was doing, um, I kind of, I 
couldn't remember the actual technical term for it that the Marine Corps calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we use we, we use what's called terrain models, and these are kind of used to paint a almost like a visual picture for Marines kind of receiving like an order, okay, mm-hmm. of of a typical mission. So terrain models they they have to be constructed and um, to a very specific detail in order to kind of assist in the clarification of, um, you know, what the mission is and what the order is to basically all your subordinates. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, If it's built properly, it does kind of enhances the leader's ability to uh, sort of communicate the, the details and the little intricacies of uh, your particular plan to your subordinates Um, by creating this sort of, visual picture of this of the actual terrain being covered during a mission um you're the commander or the squad leader they 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 kind of it almost reinforces what you're going to be doing okay yeah it's like when you're trying to like learn something new and you say it you write it down right you read it you're getting multiple inputs there that are stimulating different parts of your brain and reinforcing whatever you're trying to learn or accomplish yeah, and and kind of like you know the there's a lot of power in being able to visualize yourself doing something or yes. completing a very particular task. Yeah, and so this this kind of help reinforces all of that. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. But that's it. All right, so I've got one thing, and during the podcast, Sean had mentioned the Geneva area in relation to where um, Dungeons and Dragons had gotten created with Gary Gygax and all that stuff. And at the time when he said it, I was like, what's the Geneva area? Mm. But he was, we just were rolling with the podcast and then I forgot to ask him about it. So I looked it up and the Geneva area refers to Lake Geneva in Wisconsin. And this was where the foundation of Dungeons and Dragons was created by Gary Gygax and the crew. And, in the location of where Dungeons and Dragons was created, there's a memorial to Gary Gygax, and it has there's a 20-sided die on his memorial. And people will make a pilgrimage, like Dungeons and Dragons players will go to the memorial and basically get their dice blessed at the Gary Gygax memorial. I want to do that now. <laughs> Bless my dice. So I don't know if like you just like you you throw your die on his memorial or something, and then that's you, like, how it dunk works. Dunk him in water. Like, yeah, yeah. I didn't look too deep into it, but I did see that that was part of the whole thing. So Bless that's pretty these cool. Gary. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast again. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. Um, Like us on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Sausage candles.